Welcome back to our regular listeners. Uh, welcome to first time listeners. This is Radio Gripe. Also known as Nervous Energy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got some stuff to talk about with you today. This is a general discussion show. Uh, we're going to play a little music. We're going to drink to excess, most likely, and uh, yeah, just kind of talk about our week. Uh, Joe, what's up? Hey, what's up, Jen? Um, it's uh, been a nice week, but uh, we'll go ahead and be a little topical with a point. Uh, we're going to talk about the weather for a minute. Well, the big news is the polar vortex. Yep. Um, we're seeing some uh, low temperatures I've never seen in all my years. All your years. Of living down here below the Mason-Dixon line. Mm. I'm sure some old timers uh, or anybody further north than Austin uh, knows it can get pretty cold he- uh, here in Texas sometimes. But the low for Monday, last time I looked at it, was just it was just one digit. It was the digit one. Mm. That's that's pretty that's pretty low for us. Yeah, I don't know. I've I've lived further north of here, but I don't know that I ever got into single digits. Uh, I didn't pay too much attention to the stats when I lived up north. Uh, I was kind of there to relish in the cold, and so I was like, you know, don't bother with, don't bother me with math about it. But yeah, it is a, a new kind of cold for Texas, that's for sure. Really, when I, I feel like when I lived in Michigan, yeah, I started caring at a young age um, what the numbers of how cold it was. Uh, because I, like, I feel validated if I feel cold, and I can say, the wind chill is negative sixteen. That's objectively fucking cold, right? Mm-hmm. Wind chill is like the heat index. It's what it really fucking is. But uh, yeah, it's it can be a problem. It can present problems uh, down south. It's where really not prepared. We're not prepared for ice or snow. Yeah. In a lot of ways, there was, um, you know, uh, I guess a twenty-five car pileup over there on the forty-five. When did this first happen? Friday. Um, Saturday or uh, Thursday? I want to say this was Thursday. Thursday uh, was the day same, I, I was sent home from work. Yeah, same day that I, outside of Fort Worth, there was uh, like a hundred car pileup. It was and, bad. And so, yeah, six people perished. Yeah, pileup. Yeah, yeah, really bad conditions. Um, jokes go around every year about like Southerners not knowing how to drive in these kind of conditions. As a Michigander, um, we are very uh, accustomed. We, you know, we do learn to drive under these uh, cold, icy, snowy conditions, Mm -hmm. black ice. And um, yeah, we, before we even get our licenses, we do donuts in a snowy parking lot. Uh, People do them with their dads. It's uh, every kid knows how to straighten a car when you go into a spin like that it's a rite of passage but my advice to texans uh when it comes to driving in icy or snowy conditions is rule number one don't <laughs> right i, I mean, mean yeah. if you want to protect if yourself all possible yeah if you can avoid doing it do not fucking <clears throat> do it they salt the roads where i come from they salt them ahead of time ahead of the right. snow See, that's the other conversation you really have about it is uh the planning and preparedness you can't it's it's harder to be prepared for something that happens maybe once in a hundred years than something that happens like like clockwork <laughs> every year. Yeah, there's just not an infrastructure know? for plowing. There's not an infrastructure yeah. for salting. Um, all of our pipes are you know sort of built above ground and and made out of materials where they're more inclined to burst in this kind of weather. 
I've uh, I've already heard from two people today uh, while at work about their pipes bursting mm. at various places. Yeah, yeah, something you got to be fucking careful about, man. Um, Which uh, I, I assume everybody knows. You, you want to leave your faucets on a not just a drip, but a, a trickle. Uh, that's your indoor faucets. You don't want to do that to your outdoor faucets. You want to put cozies on those guys. Yeah. Wrap them up all yeah. nice and Build safe them. like a little baby. Yeah, like it's a plant. Put don't blankets let them, on your plants. Don't um, let them drip. Yeah. Wrap up your plants. Sure, if you want to keep them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been, I don't know. I've treated a lot of homes in Austin. And when the when the weather dips low, people like to drip their outdoor faucets. And um, that is ill-advised. Yeah. So PSA for you all out there. Obviously, you know, with all this comes uh, uh, an even harder part of it. So to say locally, this is something that I'm really cool with and proud of is uh, a couple of the city council members here in Taylor, uh, Gerald Anderson and Robert Garcia. They both got together and uh, just took some donations and, and threw in to rent some rooms at a couple of local motels to help get uh, the local homeless population off of the streets for the next few days when this is going to be deadly weather. Yeah, deadly. Yeah. So uh, that's been going on the last few days and actually had a pretty swift and really positive response from the community. They were kind of surprised by how many people chipped in. uh, He was telling me today. And uh, I was was really happy to see that because I can remember years back whenever actually I first moved to Austin uh, in the early aughts there. Uh, this was when I first heard about homelessness in the winter being so bad. Mm -hmm. And, uh, there were a few people that winter that I lived there that, uh, had, you know, lit fires to try to stay warm and and fell asleep by them and the fire would get out of control. And this is one of the most tragic things. And yeah, ever since I, ever since I moved to Austin, um, you know, some time ago, I guess I was startled at the time by the, at least, I had trouble finding resources, uh, not as a person who needed them myself, but for other for other people. Um, yeah, for a city the size that it was, it seemed like there weren't a lot of resources for people. Um, you know, there were some notable ones that primarily provide. Obviously, the the arch would be a place where people can go to take right, shelter right. overnight. Um, uh, would whenever it gets super cold, there ends up being a line, and people end up sleeping in the streets outside of the arch. There's um, you was, know, soup kitchens like Caritas that collect donations. Yeah, that was I can say in in our time hanging out downtown and uh, doing the Red River thing. Uh, yeah, that was often, and it didn't it didn't matter if it was winter or not. Um, Arch was not enough of a resource for the homeless population. For the homeless population, what was that like six years ago? Well, you know the areas where people like to try to pick to sleep uh, in the urban area. They'll pick like little quiet, out of the way parks. They'll sleep on uh, any benches that aren't designed to keep them off. Yeah. Uh, you know, or, or on the ground in like soft area. How you um, have uh, the, the steps of churches. Are we? Are we not gonna? I guess we're not gonna dive deep into the New York uh, Metro Transit Authority pulling out all benches to deter homelessness oh, okay. in the subway tunnels. Have you heard about that? In the, like throughout all the subways, they're just pulling benches. Shit. Yeah, hmm. um, that's not a thing that I like prepared to talk about, but it's another sign of what we're kind of talking about lately. It seems like several places around the nation are kind of having this uh, 
conversation at the same time. Also due to the pandemic and Mm -hmm. the economic crisis that it's caused, America is starting to look, you know, some sort of um, depression era shanty town. Right. And uh, Austin was one of those that said people can camp on public property. Mm Mm-hmm. Like when I drive into Austin, every bit of public property, every like median between roads or, you know, anything that's not private property is fair game to start setting up tents and, you know, a kind of semi-permanent living spaces. Yeah. So, yeah, it's an interesting uh, way that Austin is approaching it now. Uh, What's his name? Adler, uh, the mayor. So there's attempts to to really kind of take it head on and, and really address it and not just police it the way somebody like, uh, what's his name? Abbott wants to do. He uses the term policing when talking about, uh, the homeless problem. Right. Whereas Adler doesn't really want to use the language policing. I think that's important. Right. So the Austin city council did approve 9.5 million to purchase the, uh, Candlewood suites which is a part of Austin that's also a part of Wilco. So the William County commissioners are hiring a law firm to explore legal avenues of shutting the whole project down. What they're essentially saying is, you know, the city of Austin has made these decisions on our behalf. The majority of Austin is in Travis County. There's no way that we actually want this to go on in our backyard basically you're always going to run into a nimby problem even with neoliberals that are like yeah homeless people shouldn't be you know consigned to sleep on the streets there should be more affordable housing there should be more like charity housing uh but not in my backyard for fuck's sake yeah get them out of here but i do think it's interesting they couldn't find any space in um to do this in Travis County. So an interesting thing is that um, the city council has a grand plan of having a shelter like this, of buying up uh, either defunct hotels or something else that would do the trick that can provide uh, permanent housing for homeless people who are also disabled. They want to do one in each of the 10 districts of the city. Mm-hmm. And so this is, this is legislation that they passed like within the council like a year or so ago. And this is literally the first step. And they happened to put their foot into Wilco. Um, Cause they were looking for a fight. They're like, we're going to start this with a fight. I don't even we're know. Get I think off, it was, we're going to get this off of the bank. I think it might've just been like the first spot that they were able to really grab even. So there's a, a dude, uh, David Armbrust. I'm going to guess is how you say his name. Uh, he says that in 40 years of real estate, he's never seen a county sue a city over land use. And under the state law, counties can't regulate land use over uh-huh. a city. So he he sees this as being pretty pointless, even though the Texas AG, shitbag Ken Paxton, is also like throwing his heft into this and being like, oh, yeah, we're totally going to get lawyers and like fight this down and everything. The state. The city's going to end up fighting the state on this. I think that the city's going to win on this one because this was a, you know, a private property that like had every understanding of what's happening, like moving into it. So what we saw over the last week or so, we haven't talked about this on the show yet, was uh, protests that were outside of Candlewood Suites and everything of uh, some community residents who are all in a tizzy over the whole thing. 
Uh, an interesting thing is that Candlewood Suites shares a driveway with the Hampton Inn. Yes, that Hampton Inn, uh, who's saying that this is going to ruin their business. So this is a combination of some, something you know, local money and corporations that are settling down there, and then like a few uh, NIMBY people, as you say, uh, that are getting together and and just trying to put the kibosh, the kibosh, on this whole situation here. And I think it's pretty fucking deplorable, um, because yeah, I'll be the first to say that Austin's not had the best response uh, to taking care of homeless people in the past. And I think that any attempt on their part should be welcome. And it really sucks that the very first attempt is fucking conflicting with here, Williamson County, where we live, because we got to admit, yeah, even though our local people like Gerald Anderson, Mitch Drummond, fucking Tallarico, uh, we, we've got some really good elected officials, but this is still ultimately one of those kind of like hardline capitalist red areas of texas yeah yeah it is yeah. um but no it's it's so great uh when when the cold snap was coming immediately thought mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. what can we do to help people yeah uh who could uh, wind up out in the cold uh, and, and maybe not survive the fucking night you know i'm an idiot my thoughts turn right away to my chickens uh i'm like well i yeah. hope they're okay it's thought, pretty cold they're not used to that i thought about the local stray cats but it's not like i'm trying to put a bunch of fucking cages in the backyard and like what then you know um, like i don't even have a bunch of cages <laughs> the city of austin plans on using candlewood suites as a permanent shelter for homeless people that are also disabled with on-site health services and life skills training. They're supposed to have services available. It's, it sounds like they're at least people. trying to plan for a total package yeah. and not half-ass it. Yeah, and uh, I kind of lost my point because I, I wanted Which, to jump in a few times. Once a but... city becomes the size, population, um, and wealth that Austin is, um, yeah, uh, it has an obligation to its less fortunate citizens. Um, yeah, especially because yeah, people was, do end up getting pushed out. Um, the that's more one of the wealth things, comes to their na- uh, the neighborhoods. Yeah, what Williamson County officials are saying that are fighting this is that uh, Austin has failed on its homeless program for years, and now they're just trying to shift it away from them and put it in Wilco, which I don't. I'll admit that Austin hasn't had like really the best response over the last handful of years or decade or so. Yeah. But, but if, if that's the argument, this doesn't, what, this doesn't seem like them trying to literally shoo the fucking problem away to me. Well, if <laughs> there's a dozen other properties that they're, yeah, there's, there's right. this is just part of a larger program. Then obviously, uh, I don't know. That kind of sounds like a bad faith argument. If yeah. you know that this is, um, I guess just conveniently they were able to get this. Well, I mean, that just kind of goes Wilco to property show, first. It kind of goes to show you a little bit just the uh, the back and forth that's happening of like, y'all are just doing this because you're fuck ups and it's not going to be our problem and, you know, and, and everything hey, else. Put, putting um, homeless people in a bus to the to the nearest town. Yeah. Um, is, oh, like they, it's a tried and true method of dealing like they, with uh, the issue. They did a for Salt Lake City right. and the Olympics there. I think they did that in what Austin or San Antonio I'm, or something. I was told that they did it in Detroit. Um, 
when they brought the uh, Super Bowl. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, in Detroit, they were uh, they were fixing to do the Super Bowl there around the time maybe that I moved out, and there were all these plans that were years in the making to. <laughs> You know, people created these beautiful visions of, of what Detroit would look like when when we were done preparing for the Super Bowl. Uh, did, they, Super Bowl. did they build these visions in the late 50s or 60s? Like, come marvel at the Super Bowl in Detroit. That was the general feel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the vision you could see, I don't know, from the Ambassador Bridge or just like, like including the Ambassador Bridge. Um like maybe out on the river or something like you're looking at the city, the skyline of Detroit that we all know. Mm-hmm. We all know it. Um, and yeah, they've added some buildings um, to this, vi- this pre Super Bowl vision. That's all, you know, hotels uh, and shit. Right. Uh, for all the people that are going to come stay oh, during man. Super Bowl. Really? But they, what's interesting about it <clears throat> is that they also have all the whole city lit up. All the buildings lit up. Sure. Whereas normally you're not going to see that because all <laughs> of those of, buildings are empty. All the buildings are empty. No yeah. one lives in them and no one could live in them. And it would take trillions of dollars <laughs> to mm. make the city look like this. Unless they had people like with LEDs go stand in all these <laughs> decrepit abandoned buildings and just kind of like uh, hold them in the windows. Yeah. Um, then that would be a realistic portrayal. Funny, funny thing is they spent $2 million on the graphics for getting all the city lit up uh well that was 2006 i think i left in like i left in like 2003 or something but um yeah they did end up tearing down and uh paving over a lot of of those old buildings that mm-hmm. were um you know pretty much unlivable uh and, pa- and paved them over for for more parking yeah i'm up I'm not too sure how that panned out in the long run, uh, but I do know that the mayor at the time was Kwame, Pilpa- uh, Kwame Kilpatrick, uh, and we oh, know yeah. we know how he's, that panned out in the long run. Pretty crooked dude. Actually, um, he was just pardoned by uh, that was one of Trump's last pardons. Yeah, that was that was a weird one. So, Joe, have you been following the impeachment trial? You're, you're probably bored. Oh, wait, sorry. Answer that first. Um, Here and there. So you're probably bored with it, like a lot of people, because literally we already just had one like a year ago. Yeah. I feel like in my lifetime, I've seen three so far. And yeah, they're becoming pretty unimportant, it sounds. It's either much ado about blowjobs or nothing at all about insurrection. <laughs> Man. I grew up in the slimiest fucking time. I feel like yeah, right. the 90s. Uh, it was scuzzy. So scuzzy. It was scuzzy back then. Um, but yeah, the I came out okay. I'm fine. I'm still a feminist. There you go. 
but yeah, I did listen to the last uh, impeachment trial, and I felt pretty frustrated at the time. Mm-hmm. It was it was frustrating to listen to. This one was, I guess, also frustrating to listen to. I'm going to tell you the truth. Um, you can give me a quick refresher. What was the first one even about? Oh, interesting, Joe. Okay, all right. Listen, the la- yeah, the last one was about there. There's a new president that's been elected of Ukraine, and he's uh, uh, who who used to be an actor and was a populist candidate that was voted in to deal with the rampant corruption. Yeah, one of his first experiences in office is having to deal with this sort of hostile figure of the American president. Uh, from whom, you know, America is a country from whom they are receiving uh, aid. Ex- pretty pretty much explicitly was said, I'm putting the aid that Congress approved for your country on hold until you open an investigation into Hunter Biden. Right. And I need you to come with some shit that's going to be valuable to me. And if you do this for me, then I'll do this for you. And I'll release I'll release the hold on the aid that was earmarked for your country. It's a whole fucking thing. But you have to hear all these bad faith arguments. The same people. How dare you? The same How people now. How dare you? Who are acquitting How him. You no know decency. Yeah. To malign my client by pretending to know what's in his heart and in his brain, it was a quid pro quo. There was no quid pro quo. Trump in the meantime is like, it totally was. Like, yes, <laughs> I want I wanted him to do the thing for the, the thing, thing for the thing. This is how business works. I'm a businessman. Yeah. And they're like, shh. You can't know what was it. This man has sacrificed everything. He is an upstanding moral, which everybody has always believed about Trump, I'm sure. I can't understand why. So this time around, there was this shit show on January 6th. I feel like it's becoming common for all of us just to say the shit show on January 6th. Yeah, or like just that. the shit show on the 6th. Yeah. The shit show of the 6th. That's all you fucking need, like 9-11. Sounds good. So everybody's calling for healing and unity and coming together uh-huh. uh, by everybody. I mean, a lot of people that don't necessarily want accountability for all the shit that happened oh, that's on the 6th. almost entirely coming from the people who are trying to shirk responsibility or accountability. Like, and, and oh shit, I bought my head. I actually have amnesia people, and I fully don't remember the last four months or four years. Also, just people trying to maintain the status quo. And that's so whenever you hear Democrats saying that, you know, it's just like, okay, so you're just also just playing the fucking business. You're waiting for your presidential bid or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, so the Dems come with a uh, sort of interesting multimedia presentation. They brought a lot of new audio video stuff. The videos trickled in. Most of what we saw was from the uh, rioters themselves. Right. <laughs> um, but they brought some new stuff, which the Republicans complained about. Uh, the defense team for Trump was like, they didn't even present the evidence to us. They said it was never before seen. And we never before saw it. And the Dems <laughs> were like, yeah, you fucking did. And they were like, yeah, barely, though. You only gave it to us like five days ago. Motherfucker. So Whatever. So there was that big complaint. Let's see. Again, I, I was tuning into this sporadically, but I did catch some of this multimedia presentation, which I thought was pretty affecting. I'm told a lot of the Republicans were not pointedly not paying attention, right. like looking looking down at their phones or like feet up reading. They were all reading Ayn Rand. 
I I have to hear. Yeah, they're all re- they're all reading <laughs> the Fountainhead. I'm not paying attention. Atlas shrugged. Let's say that Atlas shrugged. They're all reading Atlas shrugged, and they're pointedly not paying attention. By which I mean, like all, just like one in particular, I guess. But yeah, a lot of people making a point of not paying attention. Mm. Let's see what we got. Doodling. I just wrote down. So the the first day, uh, the the Trump lawyer uh, something caster uh, made a sort of meandering, a sort of unaffecting argument. Um, nobody was very impressed with it. Yeah, one one guy actually like came out publicly and said, you know, hey, as an impartial juror, which it's not that at all, but and neither is he. But this was just a bad presentation. The I gotta say, guys, we really like. <laughs> We're a bunch of dickheads for voting to acquit. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna just do like it. It just—it was do. just a laughably but bad presentation. This is a, this is a real, sh- real bag of shit on our part. Which isn't again, it? that's not exactly how a trial is supposed to work. Even if this is working the way a uh, trial in a court of law would work, it's yeah. not. Uh, it's not supposed to be who puts on the best show. But there you right. have it. The Dems did put on the best Here's show. The thing, man. The first the whole, day. The whole thing about jury of your peers. Uh, and so it's like, oh, for impeachment, the peers have to be the Senate, you know, <laughs> and it's like, man, fuck all that. This man you has know, no like, peers. At the yeah. time, he was the fucking president. <sighs> he is now the former president, whatever he may think. But whatever. So Castor made, made a bad argument. Trump himself, I guess, was pretty pissed about it. Uh, some anonymous quote, and they'll never come back and admit to it, was... He's about an eight on the Richter scale from one to ten oh, of pissed off. Sure. On his on his tantrum scale. That's how hard he's like uh, beating his fists against the carpet. But the second day brought uh, Vanderveer. Vanderveen. Uh, Vander, I'm sorry, Vanderveen. Vanderveen. A, Love, that dude. Love that dude's name. Hate Van, him. Vanderveen. I don't know. This dude is complex. He is a uh, Philadelphia lawyer who has uh, previously and recently uh, represented a client suing Trump. Mm-hmm. More than one, actually, too. Yeah. Uh, that client, that first client, uh, quoted him as saying that Trump is a fucking crook. He denies that he said that. Um, I'm thinking... Either Trump's having a hard time getting lawyers, mm-hmm. or he really likes this guy. I can mm. ki- I can kind of see why. I'm not a lawyer. I'm just a regular caveman. Uh, but this guy brought a lot of emotion, a lot of um, performative outrage. And I think that is exactly what Trump wants. It he was, does not want what Castor here's did. Here's the thing. I felt like his, uh, his performative outrage was tepid. Though really, yeah, I thought I thought he looked like he was about to fucking cry. I think he got more frustrated as the trial went, like genuinely a whole lot. But I did see like some opening remarks, and he had even pointed out they're they're they were trying to lean on the this being unconstitutional because he's not in office, which is a fucking nowhere argument. So anyway, um, something that he was trying to say was, look impeaching him now doesn't even matter he's not in office what the democrats want to do is impeach him so that he can't run in 2024 correct guilty as charged here's what i have to say (laughs) yes i think that the american people and the voting populace can can state what they want and they can state if they want a change of administration which they just did 
So that was his day. And so that was his day two argument. And he comes out and he says one of the things, like really slyly, sneakily, like a motherfucking yeah. lawyer. Like, yeah, the people voted against Trump and he fairly lost the election. Now, if you, he's a private so citizen a now. That he just so like kind of like, snuck hold him, in there. He's like, you can hold him on criminal charges. And or I, to, like, I charge love him. that he did that. <laughs> Listen, see, I, I missed day two. I was like uh, otherwise occupied and probably listen to a podcast about yeah. Buffy the Vampire Slayer or something. Day about. two was pretty full of some footage from what I understand. So, okay, I did catch this. Uh, Vanderveen Vander started off with a nine-hour-long, mind-numbing supercut of uh, Democrats and various celebrities. Using saying, the word fight. Saying the word and, fight. Yeah, yeah, right. And yeah. uh, if you haven't actually yeah, heard yeah. this. <laughs> that sounds excruciating. It just, because I like, I swear to God, it started and I listened to too much of it. And then I had to go, I had to go start work. I had to deal with a client mm-hmm. and it came back and I swear to God, it was still going, <laughs> going ever <laughs> since. And I was like, oh, and like, I was listening on. Um, this is our body Care, of evidence. Not Care US. What is the um, KUT? I was listening on KUT. Yeah. And they, they cut away twice because they thought it was over. <laughs> and then they, and it keeps going. And they're like, oh, and then they go quiet again. <laughs> so okay, there's a lot of there's a lot. I thought it was pretty. Oh, I thought God. it was pretty emotionally effective because it turns out Democrats have been pretty pissed off too, and they've got a both elected candidates and just random people like Madonna uh, saying, we got to fight. You know, or like literally like, I'd like to punch him in the nose. I think that there's, I think that there's still more to lean on there. Like we can all say, we can all say that, but it is a different thing. If a Democrat is going to say, we're going to march up to the Capitol and I'm going to be there with you. (laughs) And we're going to, we're going to stop. We're going to stop the steal. We're going to demand truth. But to imply, to tell people to, quote, march to the Capitol, and then to say, I will be there with you. And we have to I fight. I think that that is some very poignant diff- shit to, when to it's lean a, on it's there. Been, here, here's the main thing. It's not it's just been about saying, stolen from you. They are stealing yeah, it from you. It's not They're just taking, about saying the word fight. They have hijacked democracy and stolen your vote. Oh, God. The Democrats have been making an argument... Uh, that it's not they're not just trying to focus on his speech they they've brought it all the way back to before the election he's saying you know people are like oh are you gonna accept the results of the election like the fucking media and he's like if i if i win yes (laughs) if i don't win then no so it's election night and he stands up and delivers an acceptance speech uh where he hasn't fucking won and the votes haven't been counted yet. Mm-hmm. And then immediately starts on this. It, we were winning. And then what happens? <gasps> what happens? <gasps> it looked like we were winning. And then more votes, more votes keep coming. Where are the votes coming you know, from? The funny thing about it is that with all of the rhetoric and the way of his framing that he did before the election, the results of what happened Partially what was bound to happen and partially by his own hand becomes yes. the self-fulfilling prophecy. for so long. But he he started calling it in a way to where he was then, even though as it happened naturally, despite his attempts to suppress it, he was able to point it, point his finger at it 
and say like this is the evidence I'm talking about, and it's like no, this is a norm. This is how it normally is. <laughs> yeah, I mean it a, was it was unusual because there also, was more mail in ballots because we're in an uh, unprecedented time. And of- you rigged it yourself by telling Republicans not to use mail-in voting so you made it favor the democrats because you gave your motherfucking it doesn't doesn't matter there was record there was record turnout for republicans uh, sorry there was record turnout for trump and there was record turnout for biden it was record turnout all around and look whatever it the fucking election's done you lost dude (laughs) yeah you fucking lost but he's been beating this drum ever since, and and it's a war drum, man. He's been riling yeah. people up. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think it was anticipated that the Republicans were going to make an argument that it's unconstitutional to impeach a president that's no longer sitting. That And they did, kind of. Um, but then, yeah, you got Vanderveen. Vanderveen? Vanderveen. Vanderveen coming out, also saying, really focusing hard on the specific language he used in this one speech on the day of the riot and tries to focus on you, you can't get him for incitement because a, they were already planning this attack and they started heading to the Capitol even before he was done speaking. And B when he says fight, he means it metaphorically. Look, y'all do it. Y'all did it. How could you possibly make this innocent man? responsible for the crimes of these unhinged people that just happen to support him when democrats have unhinged people rioting in the streets uh so yeah that's that's the other thing they that he made a really emotional argument where he's got uh here's here's where i have to take a moment and say black lives matter protests were largely peaceful um in a major way. Mm-hmm. Also, that was a grassroots and not uh, organized by a Democrat, not- let alone the sitting president. Um, I don't know. That's day two. Day three, uh, you got Vanderveen responding with some pretty salty language. Uh, get Getting pretty emotional. I like this. Uh, there, so there was a question answer period yesterday. And almost all the questions from Democrats went to the um, uh, prosecuting uh, lawyers and almost all the questions from Republicans went to the Trump defense team. So it's interesting. They're not asking each other questions. They're really just using their question answer period as a way to solidify talking points or like that wasn't altogether the case. Yeah. At some point, Bernie Sanders had submitted a question uh, to the defense team that was like, look, what did Trump know? Well, the riots were occurring. What did Trump know? When did he know it? Because we know that he tweeted <clears throat> around 2.30, Pence's head on a spike, go get him. You know, fuck him. <laughs> Bernie Sanders was like, when did he know? Like, what did he know? When did he know it? And importantly, what did he do? <laughs> what did right. he do when he found out about it? This guy, remember, he, fucking he, gloated. he was still president. Yeah. Like, he remained president until uh-huh. the uh, swearing-in ceremony uh-huh. on November 20th. This was an an, an attempt to stay president, <laughs> let's call it, the, you know? This man is in charge. Nobody yeah. else is in charge. We know that the National Guard uh, 
sat for like two hours before they were authorized to come out after they were first requested. Yeah, Sanders question, what did Trump know when and what did he do about it? Uh, remained unanswered. And in fact, I think it, I think that question was asked twice. And yeah, the uh, Vander, Vanderveen's response Vanderveen. was fascinating. Uh, it was essentially, that's for you to find out, and you didn't. So fuck you. And wow. that's why we shouldn't even be having this trial. That's why this trial is a farce. It's out of order. You're out of order. It's a- This trial is out of order. No. And you should have done your fucking research before we even fucking started. Because you don't even know, do you? Did, and he, did he awkwardly drop the mic at that moment? The ultimate response from the Dems is, yeah, well, if you're saying it's unknowable what Trump was doing during the riot. Because <laughs> he was like, well, we know that he tweeted at 237 to stop the violence. And he's like, no, no, no. That's when he tweeted for Mike Pence's head. He tweeted a little later to stop the violence. Listen. Oh, and also, yeah, he didn't actually tweet to stop the violence. Um, he said, we love you. You need to go home. I when think... it becomes, hey, next time when it's Christmas, if I'm still president <laughs> and it's Christmas, I will come to your home and I will kiss you on the forehead, every single one of you. <laughs> okay, so long story short, today was going to be the day that the Dems called witnesses. And even though... Uh, why did I write Vanderveer so many times when you keep saying Vanderveen? Vanderveen. Fine. Even though he argued that he would also have to have witnesses uh, and depose a hundred people in his office in Philadelphia. <laughs> you're already laughing. I haven't even. Here, give me a cigarette. <laughs> what? You have to hear it with your own ears. <laughs> He's delivering an impassioned speech. Nancy Pelosi's deposition needs to be taken. Come, uh, uh, Vice President uh, Harris's uh, deposition absolutely needs to be taken. And not by Zoom. None of these depositions should be done by Zoom. We didn't do this hearing by Zoom. These depositions should be done in person, in my office, in Philadelphia. That's where they should be done. I don't know how many civil lawyers are here, but that's the way it works, folks. When you want somebody's deposition, you send a notice of deposition, and they appear at the place where the notice says. That's civil process. I don't know why you're laughing. It is civil process. That is the way lawyers do it. We send notices of deposition. In the I, notice I would, of- I would remind everybody that we will have order yeah. in I, I don't the have- chamber. If you- <laughs> I never laughed at you, not through this whole thing. Guys, okay, hey, come on, guys. <laughs> I wasn't laughing at you. <laughs> and again, like, we've talked about like... why, first of all, we talked about why Trump would even hire this guy when he's been, like, anti, like supposedly anti-Trump. Like, he's literally sued him. Mm-hmm. But also, I'm like, why would he take it? Because you're like, 
he has no guarantee of being paid. That's a big part of the problem. That's a part when you of are, the problem. If you're Trump's legal team. No, man. When you sign up with Trump, expect to not get paid. Like, and what ultimately what I came what I came with was I'm like, well, he's got the easiest job on the planet. Like mm. Trump's lawyers could come out and fart in a bucket and call it a day because yeah, this up. the the outcome of this trial is a foregone conclusion. All, I, I present to you exhibit A. <laughs> this fart that I just farted in a bucket. At the end of the day, for whatever reason, abruptly the Democrats decided not to call witnesses. I'm I'm not sure if this is is because the Republicans were threatening to turn this into a long protracted process, which they didn't want, of like literally flying people out to Philadelphia and deposing them. Oh yeah, but yeah, everybody voted. There was actually seven Republicans that voted. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to convict, and again, conviction doesn't result in. It's not a legal conviction. It sure. results in no jail time Nothing. or whatever. It just means he's officially impeached. That's all. It's fully political. But they still didn't want to do that. Mitch McConnell, who is the very guy that said, let's not try him while he's in office. Yeah. I don't want to do that. Now is coming out and voting to exonerate. Yeah, and he's voting to acquit. He, he votes to acquit because he says, well, you can't, it's just constitutionally, you can't, you can't impeach. Apparently a lot of legal scholars disagree, you but you can't, can, you can't impeach a president. You can't impeach any elected official. You know Here's the thing. Make me president and let's see and any, like president for a day. And then let's see if the Republicans want an opportunity to impeach me the day after I'm president. Any elected official cannot be impeached once they're out of office. And he also didn't want to try him while he was in office. So that's that's where we are. Former President Trump's actions that preceded the riot. This is Mitch McConnell. Were a disgraceful, disgraceful dereliction of duty. Trump is practically and morally responsible for provoking the events of the day. Uh, do, you want, do you want me to give you a soundbite? Yeah, we'll probably have to do a soundbite. It's done by no one that Donald Trump is directly responsible for the actions that happened on January but we, 6th. But we can't convict him because Boy, he's no longer him. president. And I didn't want to have this trial when he was president. And he's no longer president. And I don't want to have this trial because he's no longer president. Am I still, am I doing Mitch McConnell right now? Yeah, you're doing a pretty good job. <laughs> evolution hit us up uh we're trying show at gmail at gmail. show i also point out that the opinions uh, uh did i not that, say that you did not the opinions that we express here on radio gripe are not the opinions of black sparrow radio uh on the whole uh they are uh, our opinions alone and um yeah hot take evolution yeah fuck kbsr that's just my opinion <laughs> no i'm kidding no kbsr um. actually 
KBSR believes the the uh, universe is six uh, six thousand years old, uh, but we ourselves. <laughs> no. No, KBSR is great. Uh, yeah, if we can take maybe a, just a quick moment to say KBSR is great, and uh, we got a Patreon. You can go check it out. Uh, get on that. Help go support us and all the other shows that are doing our things here on Community Radio. And anyway. Yeah, I don't know. We probably already took a break. <clears throat> it's it's tricky figuring out if we keep talking about chickens after talking about homeless people or not. But uh, yeah, next topic, basically. Um, do you want to take one? Yeah, better. Something that I think about in talking about uh, Trump and uh, the shit show of the 6th and uh, all of these things. Uh, another thing that's been happening off in the world is uh, the coup and subsequent mar- uh, military junta in Myanmar. So there's a lot of dry details that we could get into the story with, but I think that it's fair to take this one in some broad strokes and the story kind of speaks for itself. Uh, I'm going to open this up with a little bit of context. So Myanmar is in a larger region known as Burma and uh, they've had their issues with uh, authoritarianism uh, in the past. In 2008, uh, they established a constitution for the government, and this was designed and implemented by the military at the time. And it gave the military autonomy from civilian government. Uh, they have authority over ministries and hold veto powers over parliament under this constitution that they designed. There's a quote from what I was reading here that says, Domestically, this arrangement enabled it to enjoy complete autonomy and impunity, whilst internationally, the veneer of democracy allowed the country to benefit from foreign investment and shielded the military from some of the worst international criticism for the genocide of the Rohingya. So the Rohingya, do you remember hearing about this over the last year or so? Yes. This is one of the uh, things that have been brought to attention because there has been uh, a, a genocide going on of the Rohingya people in Burma and in Myanmar especially. This started in like 1982 whenever certain citizenship laws were passed. Uh, so the Rohingya is, they are a stateless uh, Indo-Aryan peoples is how this was described. So... In 1982, they made a law that you have to verify citizenship in order to hold any place within society. And because the Rohingya were essentially stateless, they essentially blocked them out from even getting a foothold within society. Since then, they've passed more laws which have put travel and movement restrictions uh, on them saying, no, you're not allowed to go to different areas or anything else. You have to stay put where you are. Yeah, and they've done a lot of things just kind of banning uh, the Rohingya from living any kind of natural life. But more, more than that, there's been a military assault. I, this is where it gets kind I mean, of... Leg- legislatively, insofar as what what the powers that be are literally doing to build societal baked-in walls around a people. Right, right. But yeah. the, so this is where it gets kind of confusing uh, with this coup. Um, you have what seems to be... <clears throat> a good guy leader, a woman who, what is her name? 
Aung San Suu Kyi. She is a Nobel Peace Prize winner. Um, she has spent her life uh, promoting anti-Myanmar military and pro-democracy values. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I, but you said 2008. Well, 2008 was when the constitution was drafted and they really started getting down with some democratic elections. So she was, I guess she won a proper election and was placed in power, mm-hmm. like against the will of the military state. So what happened recently? But she had huge popular, both domestic and international support for a really long time. Right. Uh, yeah, if I'm not mistaken, it was like a second bid that was going, like she was incumbent maybe or some such. But I know that what what the key thing that happened here is that, so the person who's been leading the military for the, the past like decade or so, uh, he's getting older and his retirement is imminent. So there is basically talk that if Yeah, she's she's actually party... 72 and he is 68. That's a random fact I happen to know. Okay. But if his party would have won the November election of 2020, then he probably would have been picked up as somebody eventually because his party was a, a union and solidarity party and uh, something kind of very propagandistic for don't, the name of a don't party. Don't even make this about unions. This is mil- no, that's, this is fully military. That is the name of their union, though. And it's this militaristic uh, like party. If they would have won, he probably would have been tapped to become leader. And again... And because they lost, there has now been a military takeover. So this one guy who is an old general in the military, this is a stab of him literally trying to steal the power and 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 steal the country away from right. the democratic voice. And... I think about this and thinking about the six and you know, you know, Donald Trump is down there in Florida and he's like trying to not get kicked, get kicked out of Mar-a-Lago because people are trying to kick him out because that's a whole thing. And he's watching news about Myanmar and just like, why aren't my people he's just this so, strong? He's both like, why didn't I court the military harder? He's rock, I courted cops. He's rock hard watching it, but also crying a little bit and like doesn't know what to do. If you and uh, mention Trump's dick one more fucking time, okay, that's see what it. happens. I'm, I'm gonna slap that shit out of your face. That's fine. That's fair. I'm done. I won't do it again. My understanding of this Myanmar situation is it's not a good guy, bad guy situation. Aung San Suu Kyi, she she might have had like a rocky relationship with the military and she's she's had many years to like maybe make some moves to consolidate her power. Maybe she has not done so. Maybe she's done so in ways that we can't quite see. But she definitely oversaw uh, what has been described as an ethnic cleansing of the uh, Rohingya and has been sanctioned by the UN and when called upon to explain it, like just been like, ah, oh, it's not what you heard. It's it's really not that bad. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all a bunch of hype. So that was yeah, because this is kind of like a larger law of the land that's outside of Myanmar, even. So, well, yeah, yeah. So I I feel like in her efforts to maybe consolidate her power, she has become super lenient or at least like 
there's been an understanding of leniency with the military doing whatever they want. Right. She's not really in power. And she defends them before the UN and she accepts sanctions for uh, human rights abuses. That's not really what her previous legacy would have indicated that she would do, but that is in fact what right. she did. Yeah. Um, it just seems like a really complicated situation. And now the military has turned against her and there's been a, uh, yeah, I guess a complete coup. Yeah. I do feel like Trump is taking notes and yeah. is like, Ooh. He's like, oh, oh, look at that. It's what I should have done. Mm. Why didn't I have that guy on my it's, side? It's what he still can do. Well, we'll see about that. I mean, you know. We'll see what the next four years holds we'll so far as how shit moves and, and everything else. mentioned 2008 as being a pivotal moment for Myanmar. Another thing that happened in 2008 was uh, that Britney Spears, uh, according to pop culture, lost her damn mind. Yeah, I remember. She had a highly publicized mental breakdown and was uh, placed in a mental health facility. Uh, she shaved her head. Mm-hmm. Didn't just shave her head. She shaved her head in public and mm-hmm. was photographed doing it. What the fuck? Mm-hmm. People took pictures. She attacked a paparazzi with is, an umbrella. Is this your Bill Cosby impression? What's going on? I don't know, man. <laughs> yeah, Britney Spears. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm actually kind of surprised it happened as late as 2008. I remember it being earlier. Uh, had a breakdown. She. Uh, was placed in a mental health facility and subsequently her estate, her financial assets and her personal assets were placed under control of her father, Jamie Spears. Yeah. After she, after she shaved her head and hit a, hit a photog uh, car with her umbrella and was also photographed uh, carrying her kid, a uh, young, young kid in a car, like, mm-hmm. I think in her lab, or just, like, not fastened into a safety seat. Which, right. No go. You are officially crazy. Do if not. If you have done any go. of these things. Right. So, was this the beginning, then, of the uh, conservatorship as we know it? Yes. The thir- the 13-year conservatorship that Britney Spears has been placed under. So, there's been, a, like, a burgeoning free Britney movement for a long time. And a documentary hit 
recently called Framing Britney. Uh, it's on Hulu. I haven't watched it. Here's the thing. I wanted to see it. Uh, we don't currently have Hulu. I haven't watched it. I'm told this isn't some, like, yet another exploitative, like, bullshit bandwagon fucking thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's actually done by some New York Times journalists, or at least uh, with heavy participation in the New York Times. Could be totally wrong about that. Sorry. Britney's fans uh, have had, like, hashtag free Britney, uh, you know, going on for a super long time. Britney Spears, she hit the scene a little late for me. I was I was already an adult, and she was technically still a child. In fact, I think she was, like, 15 when she first became famous and super sexualized and Mm -hmm. i was uncomfortable with the whole thing my disgust with how the media was treating britney spears rise to stardom was it toxic yeah it was toxic it was toxic Mm -hmm. um it's like she was a slave to them Mm. maybe she's not that innocent but it seemed like it to me at the time that she was like, I, yeah, I did used to have a vague impression as, like, someone who had recently entered adulthood that this young girl was maybe never, like, in charge of her career or her artistry. And, in fact, she was just sort of, like, a train monkey or something. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, like, it she was, was, like, plucked out of a trailer park it was by a dark. talent agent. Uh, it, it got to some, some dark places there. And... She was, uh, you know, ridiculed in a little bit. No, the media else. was so bullshit to her. Yeah. And it, it, first of all, I was so pissed off. Even when she was like, she was super young. She's a sex, she's a sex object from the time she's like 15 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, she had come out and said like, oh, I'm a, I'm a virgin. I'll wait till marriage to have sex. And the media like, the, I saw... I, covers like there was a cover of the rolling stone where she's like not wearing very many clothes like maybe they put her in like thigh high stockings and like panties and like a football t-shirt who the fuck knows i i have like a vague memory of this yeah i'm a little older than her so i definitely was super like also a little gay so i am attracted to girls but like she's younger than me and i'm like this is not cool what y'all are doing to her i thought it was gross yeah I thought the whole fucking thing was gross. I thought the fact that there were grown men counting down Britney's like arrival at the age of 18. Again, scuzzy time. Gross, gross time. Yeah. Because that was uh, the very, the, the tail end of the 90s was when she showed up, right? Yeah. Yeah. She does a bunch of stuff that I guess like seems emotionally imbalanced. I remember at the time being like, so she shaved her fucking head. That's always been a gesture of like sloughing off like control of the well, when a woman does it, control of the patriarchy mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. just being like I'm my own person. She did look a little like crazy with her like running eye makeup and her shaved head. The thing is, we we've witnessed the downfall of a lot of pop stars uh throughout our lifetimes. Whether it is uh, mental illness or drug abuse uh, or some combination and also the, you know, the pressure of fame will add to both of those things. 
And these, these often do these stories end in tragedy and often death, like, yeah. uh, by su- like direct suicide or like, you know, accidental suicide. It's hard to know the difference sometimes. I didn't get like a strong sense at the time, like just cause a girl is mad at paparazzi and shaves her fucking head, she is deranged. Uh, I felt like that was like way overblown by the media. But I guess I wasn't taking into account at the time, like, how much the media influences public perception and public perception influences a celebrity's life in a huge fucking way. Yeah. And never have we seen that more exemplified uh, by that, you know, by anyone than by Britney Spears, who was at that time a placed into an institution for a little while. Mm hmm. She remember she had young children at that time with Kevin Federline. Right. I feel like the whole world was preying on her, and I feel like she was not even remotely pre- prepared for what was going to happen to her. Since then, I've learned. Better. Since then, I've learned that actually Brittany was pretty active from a young, young age in her career. As a kid, she wasn't pushed into this by her parents, let alone her father, who was largely absent from her life. What did I say her dad's name was? Steve Spears? Randy Spears? Randy Spears? No, it's the same name as her sister. Jesse. Jesse Spears. Look, whatever. Uh, She she did try very hard and work very hard. Uh, Obviously, she went on... Dancing with the Stars? No, like... Uh, American Idol. Uh, no, like way pre this. This is way pre any of this star, existing. Star Search. Star Search. She was on Star Search. I was throwing that out as a fucking joke. Um, she, she was uh, on Star Search? Yeah, she auditioned for the Mickey Mouse Club, obviously. Um, at the same, Around the same time that Justin and Christina did... She was already 12 or 13 when the Mickey Mouse Club folded. So now it's like, okay, shit, what am I going to do? Right. I'm I'm now told that she did make choices as an artist. Maybe not how to market herself as like a sexy virgin. I don't know. Like, I, I don't know if it's a fair comparison to make between someone like Billie Eilish today. Mm-hmm. Who has the protection of her family, uh, two loving parents, you know, a brother who she writes music with. And still has talked publicly a lot about the scrutiny she faces from the public has been shat on yeah. by the court of public opinion for either being like too fat, too, too sexual or weird or being like, yeah, no, too, there's too there's young and innocent. Definitely a lot of shaming going on around Billie Eilish. Uh, That's what we do to kids, literal children. Yeah. And we did it. Well, I say we, I, I always express my strong disapproval, <laughs> but yeah, I just, I thought it was fucking gross what society did to Britney Spears. Yeah. And for sure. yeah, she's living a Malibu Barbie lifestyle in tr- like literally trapped in a Malibu Barbie dream home. And she is under a conservatorship. Uh, she has been since 2008 uh, for 13 years, her father has been in charge legally of her estate, her financial assets, her personal assets. 
Uh, it's all been placed under. Oh, her, her, I'm sorry. Her dad's name is Jamie Spears for 13 fucking years. So a conservatorship, when someone has money, is the kind of thing that comes into play usually when someone is very elderly and they have dementia, or I don't even know how present her father was in her early life, but he certainly became present later. Mm. Yeah, when someone has dementia or they're in a coma, they might be placed under conservatorship. Uh, it's kind Not. of unheard of that it would last for yeah. as long as it's lasted from yeah. since 2008 till now. Yeah. And I will say this. I know that she's medicated and she's not completely able to make choices with her therapist about the medications that she's taking. Uh, she is not able, legally able to leave her compound that she lives in unaccompanied. She is not able to drive or probably agree to interviews based on what we've seen. Yeah. And so over the years, there's been this like free Britney movement that's been developing because she's still performing. She's mostly been performing in Vegas. And people are scrutinizing her Instagram posts, like, is Britney sending secret messages to her Instagram posts? Man. They're intriguing. I will tell you this. They're, like, sufficiently vague. We're going to have to do a whole episode on uh, secret Instagram and TikTok messages, because that's apparently a thing. Here's the other thing. She's literally drugged. And again... When people don't have a choice, I think part of the reason I brought up the downfall of all these like pop stars earlier is just like, nobody wants to see this happen. Britney looks super happy, but at the same time, she's a grown ass woman with fucking autonomy or should be. And again, I haven't seen the documentary, but it seems like worst case scenario, which is probably not true. She's being made to perform yeah. Uh, you know, for like millions of dollars at like Vegas venues. She's a high functioning person who is made to do like physically demanding kind of dangerous stuff all the time. And also if Britney Spears has a mental illness that needs to be controlled by medications and it hasn't become public because she's been this really like stifled star and she declines to take her medications, and that's why she's under conservatorship. Like, whatever, that's fine. I, I basically, I don't want to be that person that's like, free Britney and let her self-destruct with all of her freedom. Um, but at the same time, who the fuck is Jamie Spears to control everything about Britney? Uh, it's pretty clear she's not, like, she doesn't have the autonomy that a grown-ass person should have the fact that she seemed to sign up for it like pretty early uh like okay like can easily be explained by the fact that she had young children and was coming out of a mental institution and was trying to regain custody rights to her children and would sign up for anything the fact that she's still in it all these years later is kind of fucking insane it's it's uh it's a complicated situation look uh we we stand with Brittany. And we stand for the freedom and autonomy of individuals and people. Uh, yeah, even people yeah. with and it's mental illness 
This, yeah. you know, here's a question. Can you imagine this ever happening to a male pop star? I think that, I think that the money is the driver here. And I think that it is easier for people to commodify women than men in uh, our society. Hey, Jen, you want to hear a fun fact? Yeah. Police in California, uh, there is at least two documented cases right now of police trying to use copyrighted materials such as Sublime and the Beatles to prevent activists from filming them. What? Yeah. So there's your fun fact for the week. Uh, wait, 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 wait. No, we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and call it there, and we'll. Hey, everybody! Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs> yep, sure. Thanks, everybody. I guess we're going out on a cliffhanger. Hey, special thanks in case I didn't say it to Trevor and the Mental State Fair for providing us for the use of our theme song, Dying in Texas. Thanks to Alex Cuervo and Spectrostatic. Dope shit all around. Thanks to Hoofless out of Salt Lake City. If you got a music endeavor that you want to see on the show, we're down for that. Hit us at we're trying show at gmail.com. You can also get us as on Radio Gripe TX on Instagram. And you can go to blacksparrowradio.com. Sorry blacksparrowmusicparlor.com slash radio and you can stream live stuff there you can look for patreon links you can get in on all the stuff do all of that stuff thanks for joining us it's always a pleasure for me (laughs) and me (laughs) and you i should hope (laughs) this has been radio gripe texas Uh, keep on griping community radio Keep on grabbing, Texas. Sit down.